Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of God. However well you slept last night, I hope it was well. I did. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John Simons, and uh, I'm uh, married to a lady called Joy Wildman. We live at Harndorf. We have 12 kids between the two of us, um, aged between 26 and 8. And actually, I'm really excited at the moment because my eldest, Melody, is getting married next Saturday, and uh, I'm pretty pleased about that. That's good. And it wasn't so long ago, I remember pacing the halls at 3am with this very discontent um, bundle of humanity about this long on my arm. Um, That was actually 26 years ago. And uh, the time goes really fast. Now she's uh, a lot bigger than that. She's quite capable of beating the stuffing out of her old man if she so desires. Fortunately, she doesn't desire. Um, And uh, yeah, she's developed into... uh, a wonderful person and I'm not biased at all. <laughs> this morning, um, I want to spend a bit of time in uh, just tracing through a story that we find in 1 Samuel. It begins at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And the whole story as it unfolds goes actually well into 1 Samuel chapter 10. And I'm not going to read to you a chapter and a half of, of the scripture this morning. I'm going to read uh, a, a good bit of that as we go through over the next... Uh, few minutes, but uh, this is a really fascinating story, and I, 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 love, uh, I, I love the narrative portions of the Old Testament, actually, because there's just so much that you can find uh, in those stories, and uh, if you consider the thousands of years of history that is, is covered by the, by the period of the Old Testament, and the selection that we have, you know, even in the New Testament, you go to the book of Acts, and the book of Acts covers a period of 30 years. And yet Luke has chosen this and this and this and this and this to make up his book. And he's chosen those things for a very good reason. And just as a bit of an aside, by the way, there is no unbiased history. Every historian has a point to make. Every historian has, has something to teach. And uh, so, you know, if someone tries to tell you they're actually writing an unbiased history, you know either they don't understand or, or they're trying to, to sell you something, okay? Because there is no such thing. And uh, what we have in the Old Testament is uh, a selection over, over a period of, of thousands of years, a selection of important events that uh, are important for us, that are important for the people of God to learn from. And uh, this is one of those stories. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're introduced to a young man by the name of Saul, who was later to become king of Israel, in fact, the very first king over Israel. And uh, at the beginning of chapter 9, we read, There was a Benjaminite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Now, he'd stand out of the crowd, wouldn't he? Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they didn't find them. And then they went to the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, 
but they didn't find them. And then finally in verse 5, they reach the district of Zuf. Now, there's a lot of names there, place names, that probably don't mean a whole lot to you unless you've uh, made a bit of a study of, uh, of ancient Israelite geography. And, you know, some of those names uh, you, you can reference on the map. A couple of them are a bit, uh, well, we don't quite know what they, where they are. But what we do know is that Saul and the servant that was with him covered a lot of ground. And they walked for several days. This wasn't just down to the, the back paddock. Okay, and just see if the donkey got his foot in a hole or something. Uh, they didn't have fences, right? <laughs> and these donkeys could, could wander. Don't know exactly how many of them there were, but uh, they were important to Saul's father, Kish. He was a, a farmer of sorts. The animals of any, of any herder are very important. They're very valuable um, things. I, I remember some time we, we spent in Chad and in, in Central Africa and uh, they had in the culture we were, were living in, they have this practice of giving a dowry. Um, when a man wants to marry a, a woman, he, he pays the woman's uh, parents a, a dowry. And uh, in Chad, they, they often do it in camels. And uh, actually, Melody, the, my eldest, who's, who's getting married next week, was in the marketplace one day with, uh, with my wife. And at that time, Melody was only 12 and... Uh, my wife was asked effectively how much for your daughter. Um, it wasn't quite that blunt, you know. It was it was more polite than that, but you know what I mean. That was kind of a bit how she felt, you know. Uh, um, yeah, we we don't do that in our culture. Was her response, but um, that was a quick sidestep that uh, that saved the situation. Um, but it's in camels, and these camels are actually quite value valuable. You want to buy a camel in in Central African francs? It's it's a lot of money, and the average person doesn't have that kind of cash lying around normally um, even if he is a farmer who owns a number of camels and he's actually quite wealthy in camels but he's not very wealthy in many other ways <laughs> and so if he loses those animals that's a major financial disaster okay and and that's the situation that uh, that Saul's father Kish was in here these animals he had probably represented a fairly significant portion of his wealth Okay, we don't know exactly how well wealthy Kish was, but these animals would have been valuable. And so they've gone wandering off. He doesn't know where they are, sends his son off to look for them, and it was pretty important that they be found. So off he goes. And, and Saul and the servant, as I said, they wandered probably for days over this area. It's uh, uh, quite hilly country, can be quite rough in places, and... They just wandered. They were looking. They were looking, I guess, down in that valley and down in that valley and maybe the donkeys have gone around here. They would have gone around a bit in circles and back and forth. It, it, it took quite a long time. And he searched high and low. He, he was pretty diligent about this. Let's, let's, let's give Saul credit here um, for what he's doing. He's really looking diligently for these, these donkeys. It was important. It was a task. This wasn't an insignificant task by any means. It was quite an important task. And he is, he's doing his best okay, for, for his family, for his father. And uh, he's doing absolutely his utmost to make sure these donkeys get found. Verse 5. When they reached the district of Zulf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come on. Let's go back or my father will stop thinking about donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there's a man of God. He's highly respected and everything he says comes true. He's talking about Samuel, by the way. 
Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We've got no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver and I'll give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, come, let's go to the seer. Because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to his servant. Come on, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. Now, (laughs) in that little exchange, there's a lot that we can learn about Saul, about his servant, and actually about the culture of the time. You know, Samuel, it seems, as many holy men of the time did, apparently, actually sort of earned his living um, in his his profession as a prophet. Okay? And, And people would come to him for advice. Sometimes it was just wisdom. All right. Sometimes it was a word from God about where to find donkeys. Okay. And the, the culture was that if the man of God was going to do this for you, you would bring him some kind of offer of payment. Now, I don't think it was, you know, there wasn't this bartering session about, you know, Samuel says, oh, I'm not going to pass on the word of God unless you... It, w- it wasn't like that, I don't think. Okay. But it was part of the culture to bring something for him. He's, give, he's doing you a service. He's, he's giving you a word from God and it was appropriate to give him a gift in response. And so Saul, quite rightly, felt very uncomfortable about going to the prophet and have nothing to give him. Okay? So that's where Saul's at there. And he's, he's saying, oh, look, we've got to have something to give the man if he's going to, going to do this for us. And it so happened the, the servant had, uh, had the something. But what's really interesting about this is Saul was ready to give up. Okay? As obviously he said, look... <laughs> Yeah, there's only so long we can look for donkeys, and my dad's going to start worrying about losing a son, you know, not just donkeys, if we don't get back soon, because um, they'd been away, as I explained, for quite some time. So Saul's ready to give up on the donkeys. Well, the servant who's with him, whose name we don't know, by the way, not written there in the Bible, we are never told the name of this servant. Just changed the course of history, this man, but we don't know his name. Right? Because, you see... As the story unfolds, this, this is where, where Samuel anoints Saul to become king over Israel, you see. And if Saul had given up at that moment, that may not have happened. So, you know, this servant has just changed the course of history. We'd not even told his name. And what he did, actually, was really quite simple. Really simple. He was encouraging Saul. No, come on, we can, there's still a chance we'll find these donkeys. And the second thing he did was he was willing to put in what he had. To achieve that, okay. Now these are look. We can go lots of places with this. A, a couple of places I'm not going to go, but you know, just having just what he had, he he, he, I, he not have been. It wouldn't have been a wealthy man, or he wouldn't have been working for someone else. Someone else's son, right? Um, if he was a wealthy man, he, he he would have had his own own lands and own animals. He wouldn't have been working for Kish or, or, or for, for Saul. Now now what happened if? And, and it, I'm not quite sure if they did this or not, but what in, uh, in Torah, in, in, the, in the law, it says, you know, that every 49 years they have this, uh, or every 50 years they have this year of Jubilee where all the lands are supposed to be returned to their hereditary owners, okay? So under that system, if you buy land, what you're really doing is renting it until the next year of Jubilee, right? Now, 
In this period in Israel's history, we don't know if they were actually doing that or not. They might not have been following those rules. Um, But that's what they were supposed to do. But either way, this servant didn't have any land. Perhaps he wasn't an Israelite and didn't have any inheritance in the land. Or maybe he was an Israelite, had fallen on hard times and had to sell his land to pay off debts of some sort. And he's now working for someone else on someone else's land. So he was not wealthy, right? But he had something. He had, he had something that could be offered. And now, remember, this is Kish's donkeys. It's not the servant's donkeys, right? And yet the servant's willing to say, oh, look, I've, I've got something. I've got something for the man of God, okay? And we'll find those donkeys. And so I just want to point that out. That was really something quite significant that he did. He was not a wealthy man, and yet he was willing to fork out so that his master's donkeys could be found. Not his donkeys, his master's donkeys. And uh, that really was a very, very generous act that he did. The other thing he did was to encourage Saul to keep going. And that's why we, that's why we are a body. That's why we are, we're not islands, we're not individuals, we're not cut off from other people because if we were, it would be so easy sometimes, and I know I'm speaking from experience here, so easy to say, well, bugger it, I'm not going to do this anymore. I just can't. I just can't, it's too hard, I'm, I'm giving up, I'm going home. And yet, even when you say that, you know, people can come alongside you, people you trust, people who are close to you, people you've shared life with, can come alongside you and say, well, come on, um, let's have a look at where we're at here. What, what's the, what's, what can we do? What's the best way forward? Look, I've got something, I, I can help you with this. Let's, let's just take another step. And... Uh, There's just so many reasons (laughs) why we are not individuals, why we're groups, why we've got a, why we need each other, okay? Why we, why we build relationships with each other, why we uh, walk each other's journey in one one sense, where we're walking side by side, okay, in similar journeys, and uh, things going on in my life uh, may not be the same as things going on in your life, but when we walk side by side, we can we can put into each other's lives. And that is absolutely critical for, for Christian brothers and sisters. We can't do it alone. Right? And, uh, you know, I, I, I've actually come across a few people who, um, who are believers. They don't go to any church because, I don't know, churches are corrupt or they've had a bad experience in a church somewhere or they went to a church where, I don't know, something happened. <laughs> and they cut themselves off from the body of Christ. And uh, they're doing it tough. They really are. They're doing it a whole lot tougher than they would be if they would, um, if they would lean on someone and let someone lean on them too. You see, it's two-way. It's not just, it's not, we're not just out to find someone to lean on. We, we do find someone to lean on, but we're there for someone else to lean on us if necessary too. Okay? And uh, so this servant's doing all the right things here. He's, he's given what he's got, he's providing a way forward, he's encouraging Saul to keep on and, uh, and see what can be done to find these donkeys. So the story continues. So at verse, verse 11, as they were going up the hill to the town, they met some girls coming out to draw water and they asked them, is the seer here? He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry. He's just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. And as soon as you enter the town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who were invited will eat. Go up now, you should find him at about this time. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel, 
coming towards them on his way to the high place. Now, to this point in the story, pretty ordinary, isn't it? Okay, Samuel's looking for donkeys. He's ready to give up. His servant says, no, keep going. And here, here's a way. Let's go find Samuel. And uh, they meet Samuel. They ask some directions. There's some girls going out to draw water. Oh, yeah, there he is. Now they've met Samuel. And now we get to this point in the story. We've read 14 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And now we're just about to find out what's really going on. Because what we think is going on in these 14 verses isn't really what's going on. Verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came, we go back a day, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow... I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. Did you get that? The day before, the Lord said to Samuel, I will, this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Saul thought he was looking for donkeys. You see that? He thought he was looking for donkeys. Saul was not actually looking for donkeys. Saul was being led by the hand of God to meet the prophet Samuel. He didn't know that. He thought he was looking for donkeys. But he wasn't really looking for donkeys. God was, meeting him. God was leading him to a divine appointment with a prophet to be anointed king over his people Israel. Only he didn't know that. Now, the significance of that can really, you know, rattle the cage a bit, okay? Because Saul was going about his daily business. He was doing what had to be done. These donkeys were lost. They had to be found. And they're important, by the way, these donkeys. They're not irrelevant to this story. We'll see in a minute that the donkeys are actually important in the story. But Saul was just going about looking for donkeys. But in heaven, there was another plan. God wasn't sitting there talking about his angel, talk, talking with his angels, going, "Ah, oh, yeah, I really hope Saul finds those donkeys." Now God was saying to his angels, "Yeah, look, he's going to meet Samuel soon. That's it. We see, I've, I've sent him to meet Samuel. There he is. Look, he's, he's about to meet Samuel." And you know, this is just so, <laughs> so typical in one respect of of, of my testimony. By the way, you know, there's been so many times in my life when I knew I was doing the right thing. I was was following God's leading. I I knew that what I was doing was important. I was going the right way. It's just that I didn't know what God was really up to. (laughs) Right? I I could tell you any number of examples. For example, um, years ago, I used to work as a financial analyst for a finance company. And... uh, you know, that was uh, fairly demanding. They paid really well, but I didn't have a life. And, uh, you know, being a financial analyst, actually, I could see the writing on the wall. And uh, I resigned and left before the writing came to pass. That was uh, Beneficial Finance, by the way, owned by what was then called the State Bank. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was one of the rats that jumped ship. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we went to Darwin. 
I was born in Darwin, actually, so it was kind of back home, to me, back home for me. And we'd prayed very, very carefully about the whole thing about leaving Beneficial and the whole thing about moving interstate with, um, at that stage, one, one young child. Melody had been, well, she was about one at that stage. And uh, we really felt that, you know, Darwin it was. That was, that was where it should be. And um, we didn't know why. And uh, we went up there, we, we bought a house, four-bedroom elevator house, really nice in, in, uh, in Rapid Creek, and uh, oh, we were going to fill it with kids. You know, we had these ideas of expanding our family, and um, as you can see, you know, the family's expanded a bit, but that house is long gone, <laughs> sold that years ago. You see, God had other ideas. We thought, we, 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 would, we knew God wanted us in Darwin, that, we had a good, good feeling about that. That was good. We really thought that God had spoken to us about that. That's the place to go. We kind of, having decided that that was the place to go, I applied for one job and got it. And that confirmed for us, yeah, okay, this is, this is really good. God's looking after us here. God is providing a way. And, you know, we found the house we wanted. It was great. And it was just fitting into place. And we're saying, thank you, Lord, for preparing the way, for coming here before us, for guiding us here. That's, you know, we thought, yes, now we'll just settle down here, fill this house with kids and, and do whatever ministry, you know, God sees fit to lay before us. I was working for the Power and Water Authority as, as an economist and... and uh, you know, I'd, I'd left Adelaide University a few years before with an economics degree and a really bad attitude towards study. I'd done my time in hell <laughs> going back there, you know. And um, God said about changing that attitude. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know he was changing that attitude. I saw this ad in the, the Economist, which is a worldwide economics magazine, and they have job ads in there. And the Merchant Bank of Nigeria wanted... Um, economists with post-grad qualifications and an interest in developing economies. And they were paying this ridiculous salary. We're, we're talking 20 years ago and, and it, was, it was six figures in pounds sterling. You know, it was just... I looked at that and thought, what? For that kind of salary, what's a master's degree between friends? I can get one of those, you know? God knew, God knew how, to, how to get me, you know? And, and my, my attitude to, to study was changing. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can... Oh, I can study. Yeah, 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 I can, I can do that. Well, then we found out why he really wanted us in Darwin. He really wanted us in Darwin because we were attending a church there that had a very strong focus with, with mission and with evangelization all over the world, actually. And every month they would have some missionary come and speak about the work they were doing or a retired missionary come and speak about the work they used to be doing. And, and one month there was this couple who'd worked for some time with, with Wycliffe Bible Translators and they were talking about the work of Bible translation. And it was like I was the only one there, 250 people in the room. And every, I mean, it just felt like everybody's looking at me, the speaker's looking at me, God's looking at me, and I'm going, okay, <laughs> this is creepy. Uh, <laughs> what comes next, you know? Let me just hang on to this sort of thing. And, um, and, and my wife had the same experience. And uh, that's why God wanted us in Darwin. You see, he was taking us to a divine appointment with someone who had a word from God about where we were going next. But we had no idea that was on the cards when we moved to Darwin. We thought we were staying there a lot longer. So you see, you know, even when you're sure you're doing what God wants, sometimes he doesn't tell you why. And sometimes 
you can be just plodding along, doing the next thing, not aware that God is leading you step by step by step. You see, Saul didn't have a clue, did he? He was wandering the hills of, of Israel. What was it? Oh, where are they? Going, he went through the hill country of Ephraim, the area around Shalisha, the district of Shalim, territory of Benjamin, the district of Zuf. Oh, trekking all over the place. He's just looking for donkeys. No, no, he wasn't looking for donkeys. God was leading him to a divine appointment with the prophet Samuel so that he could be anointed king over his people, Israel. He went looking for donkeys and came back a king, one could say. <laughs> it's like <laughs> totally out of his mind, right? He wasn't, he wasn't expecting to go there. In fact, you can see from his reaction a bit later that that was just simply not on his agenda at all. Let's just quickly... Actually, I'm, I'm not going to read... You know, as I said, the story goes through in the middle of chapter 10. I'm not going to read it all. But as you get down to about verse 20 in chapter 9 there... It says, as for the donkey, this is where Saul's talking to, uh, to uh, no, Samuel's talking to Saul. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, okay, they've been walking around for three days. Do not worry about them, they've been found. Okay, so the donkeys were important, okay. The donkeys did need to be found. It's not like the donkeys were irrelevant and Kish's livelihood meant nothing. No, no, it was important and God made sure the donkeys had been found, okay. They were important. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your father's family? Which is a rather indirect way of saying, you're going to be king, mate. And Saul's, Saul's response, he answered, But am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Saul knew how politics work. If you've got a confederation of 12 tribes, like they had in Israel at the time, you don't normally, the guy who becomes king is not normally the one from the, small, one from the smallest tribe. It'd be more like uh, someone much more numerous or, or um, active politically, like Judah. Uh, or uh, Simeon was pretty, was pretty big at that stage. So it would have, been, would have been one of them. It wouldn't have been someone from really small Benjamin, with a really quite a small territory, Small, num- small population, normally it doesn't happen. And, and, and you know, speaking in Africa, they re- really understand this because what, uh, what the Europeans did you know, a bit over 100 years ago is they came, they, they came with their army, they drew some lines on the map, divided Africa up into, into countries. And, uh, and within those countries, there's really a whole lot of different people groups who have, you know, some of them been at war with each other for, for centuries. Okay, but now they're, they're within the borders of one country. Then 50 years later, having in some cases done some really good things, in some other cases not so good things, the Europeans leave again and say, say to their, their, their African friends, okay, you guys are in charge now. Um, well, what happens is they have elections, and of course when you have elections, it's not some insignificant clan in the smallest tribe that becomes president. Right, it's the ones that have got a bit more clout. So they know all about that, and so that's what Saul. That's where Saul's at. He's saying, Geez, "Come on, that doesn't doesn't work that way, Mister Prophet. <laughs> My clan's unimportant, and I'm in the smallest tribe. I'm not going to become king." Like, and 
the other thing Saul's doing here is he's objecting. He's making some excuses, really. I come on, me king? No way. I, I, I know me. <laughs> I can't be king. And of course, he wasn't the first person to, to talk to God like that. All right? <laughs> Moses did it. He did it big time. You just read Exodus chapter 3 and uh, Moses, he trotted out all the excuses. He really, was a lot more persistent than Saul, actually. Anyway, you see, what we learn from that and what we learn from, from Moses too is that that's actually not about us, it's about God. Right? It doesn't depend on us, it depends on God and, and his character and his plans. It doesn't depend on my character. If God chooses me, raises me up and gives me a, a task... It actually doesn't depend on my past. It doesn't depend on my imperfections, and I've got a few. Just ask my wife. It doesn't depend on that. It depends on God. It depends on his character. It depends on his plan. It depends on what he wants to do. And sometimes he doesn't even tell you what he wants to do. He just shoves you in that direction. Right? Why do you think Kish's donkey has got lost? I figure God was saying, how can I get Saul to meet Samuel? Aha, I know. <laughs> Kish's donkeys are taking a walk. Off they go. Yeah, that's, what, that's, what got, that's what got Saul to meet Samuel. I don't know. God works that way sometimes, right? Anyway, the story goes on. Samuel anoints Saul as king over Israel. And I guess Saul at this stage is still having some doubts. And Samuel really wants to assure him. And he says to him, he gives him quite a list there. You can read it, and I'm not going to read it, but you read it uh, perhaps later in the first part of chapter 10, where Samuel says to Saul, these list of things are going to happen to you today as signs of what, what we've said and done here is true. And he gives quite a list. You're going, to meet this kind of, you're going to meet this person leaving this town and they're going to have this much bread and this much wine and, and then you're going to go and then you're going to join a group of prophets and he just gives him a list. One, two, three, four. These things are going to happen to you. And uh, off Saul went and, and those prophecies came precisely true. I love it when prophets do that. <laughs> they so really do. <laughs> you know... <laughs> They give you this really specific list that's so um, you can really work out whether that it's came from God or not because, you know, the first one that doesn't happen, you know, well, uh, that was wrong. It didn't come from God, did it? But <laughs> prophets really speak like that, do they? This one did. Samuel right then said, very specific things are going to happen today, and they happened. And there's a couple of verses I really want us to look at there in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 because, you know, Without, this, without these things happening here in these verses, the whole story would, would have been pretty much a waste of time. Chapter 10, verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. I love those kind of endings to stories. It's fantastic. Here is a man full of doubts. Here is a man going about his everyday business looking for donkeys. God's got a plan for his life. God wants him to be king of Israel. And this guy cannot possibly imagine such a thing. From the day he was born, he knew 
he was in a very small clan in an insignificant tribe. And before he was very much older, he knew that if the 12 tribes were ever to get together under one king, it wouldn't be him. You see, he knew that. That's the way it worked. And, And here he is with all these doubts and doing his ordinary business, and God's got this marvelous plan for this ordinary man doing ordinary things. And what it all depends on is what God does to him. It's not dependent on what's in his heart. It's not dependent on his history. This, all this anointing is done. All this prophesying is done. And it all would have been a waste of time if in the end God had not touched Saul, changed his heart and filled him with his spirit. But the great thing about that is it depends on God, not on me. If God's going to change my heart and fill me with his spirit, that's his business and he's going to do it. It's not my business. I can't fill myself with God's spirit. And as for changing my heart, well, that's little by little, you know. (laughs) I'll work on one fault before I try and get the next and hope that the first one doesn't, you know, revert. If God's going to turn my life upside down, that's his business to do that. And he can, right? And sometimes when we're faced with a, with a challenge which seems insurmountable or, or a ministry or a task that God has given us and we go, I've got to be joking, I can't do that. Well, that's God's business, right? Your ability to do that is God's business. Our job is to remain faithful to him. His job is to change our heart. His job is to turn our life upside down. His job is to fill us with his spirit and to enable us to do that. And that, for me, is fantastic news. Because I, I can't do those things, and yet I know they're necessary. I remember saying to, to my wife when we first got this call to work in, in, with Bible translation in Africa, I kind of said to her, <laughs> I knew it, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> right? And I said, oh, you know, Bible translation, living in Africa, oh, God's going to have to do some work on us because uh, I can't do that. And it was true, but I didn't really understand what I was saying. God's done, gee, did he do some work on us? And gee, did he do some amazing things? But that was his business to do that. I couldn't have done those amazing things. That was God that did those amazing things. But that's what it is about, you see. When God calls us to something, he also equips us. And, you know, what if, what if Saul had given up before he met, Sam, he met Samuel? <laughs> well, God made sure he didn't. God put the right person there at the right time to say the right thing with the right equipment. Yeah. And what that does for me is to encourage me to trust God. I don't, I don't know what's on God's mind most of the time. I've got some idea some of the time. He tells me what, what to do next sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he tells me to do something and I don't know why. I find, and there have been times in my life when I've asked, God, what are you doing? Huh? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense to me. Look, you know, if I was in control, this other thing would happen because that seems a whole lot better to me. Why, why did that door shut? 
Why did the mother of my five children die of cancer? Why? I wouldn't have done it that way. Not a chance. <laughs> Got to be choking. That was hell on earth going through that. Especially when we, we prayed for her healing and she wasn't. Oh boy, that gets heavy. Let's not go there. Just, just haven't got time to go there this morning. But that was heavy. I said, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing it this way? This is not the way to do it. Well, I can testify before you, my brothers and sisters, today that in many of those occasions where I've said, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? A few years later, I've looked back on that period and I've gone, okay, now I see it. Now I know why you did it that way. And praise God, you did it better. <laughs> the way I wanted to do it wouldn't have, wouldn't have brought the, the great result that has happened. Now, there's still some of those what are you doings I, I haven't got an answer to yet, but I trust God. I trust God. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm peace about those things. I'm really relaxed about those things because I know God. I know who God is. You see, I have a relationship with Jesus and I have a relationship with his Father and I know that he loves me. I know he has a plan for me and I know it's his job to turn my life upside down. It's his job to fill me with his spirit. It's his job to equip me for that to which he's called me. And I want to encourage you this morning as you, as you think about Saul, think about Samuel and what God did in their lives.